Let's turn to Galatians again and let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come to your word now. We pray that you would give us expectant hearts. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would draw near to each one of us and speak to us. Show us more of the Lord Jesus Christ, for we ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen. Dear Mr. Lind, uh, welcome to your new bank card. Um, It looks different, but it works in exactly the same way. To activate and start using it, please call this number. I had to call it twice. Uh, And don't forget to sign it on the back. I haven't done that yet. Um, Well, I think um, it's fair to say that signatures, um, even in our um, digital age, um, they're really important, aren't they? And whether it's something uh, relatively minor, like um, a bank card or some kind of permission slip or something like that, or something really big, like a, a marriage certificate, a wedding certificate, they show who we are, uh, who we are, we are who we say we are. And uh, in our passage tonight, Paul is, if you like, he's signing off, he's adding his, his signature to this letter. We can see that in verse 11. He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Um, Some people have thought that um, what's happening here is Paul is uh, just letting us in on a secret that he has got bad eyesight. But I think the best way to understand this is to think of it as Paul doing the, the first century equivalent of putting text in bold, underlining it, and sticking it in point 16 or 18 or something like that, Paul is saying he wants the Galatians to know that everything he said in this letter comes from him. And as we look at him kind of signing off, what I want us to do is notice um, three things that he does as he does that and see uh, what they might mean for us uh, tonight. And the first thing Paul does as he signs off is expose, expose. Um, In verses 12 and 13, what he does is he shines a spotlight on the false teachers who've been interfering with the Galatian church, the people that we've been thinking about in in this series. And it seems that they are people who need to be unmasked uh, because they were very persuasive. They came alongside these Christians, as we've seen, and they they didn't tell them outright to, to walk away from Christ. No, it was much more subtle than that. And what they did was they they drew them away from Jesus by pulling them into their own orbit, into their own gravitational pull. And what they did was they seemed to have been promising a deeper sense of assurance. And they said, come with us, let us open the gates to a fuller uh, Christian life. They, they prayed on that sense that Christians like us can often have, that maybe we're not really part of God's family. And they said, we've got a club. There's a, there's a certain initiation rite, and we've all done it. It's not really a very big deal, don't worry. Um, in our club, there's some other rules, but we'll tell you about them uh, later on. When you're ready, you can come and join us. And like all manipulators, they were experts at demeaning other people. 
what was going on in this um, church with these false teachers was what's often called triangulation. As they drew these Christians into their camp, at the very same time they spoke out against Paul. They demeaned him. And so much of this letter has been Paul fighting back. And just as he began Galatians by defending his credentials, if you can remember, he ends it by doing the same. He shows these Christians what a real Christian leader looks like in contrast to these false teachers. And in these verses, Paul is saying, let me tell you one or two things about those who are trying to lead you astray. Look at their motives, uh, Paul says. They're only in it for themselves. They might claim to have your best interests at heart, but the truth is very different. They want to make an impression. They want to be able to say, look at all our recruits. Can you see that in verse 13? They want to boast in your flesh. As Paul said back in chapter 4, verse 17, they make much of you. They love the idea of bringing you in, but they're doing that to shut you out and so that you would make much of them. Not only that, as they force, as they compel, as they urge you to be circumcised, well, Paul says they are actually people who are surprisingly fearful. They might look very confident, but inside they're very afraid. These people who look really impressive, who claim to have all the answers, who know all the secrets about God and want to invite you into that, they are frightened. They do not want to be persecuted, verse 12, for the cross of Christ. I think this is so often the reason that people get drawn away from Jesus, isn't it? The cost of standing with a crucified Savior. Well, it's just, it just seems too high. And we'll see more of this in a moment. But it's not just their motives that Paul exposes here. In verse 13, he, he shows their hypocrisy. You see, there is a club. There is a club rules but the leaders in the club aren't keeping those rules, if I can put it that way. People who claim to love the law, well, they are people who don't keep the law. Uh, they want to make a big showing in the flesh. Uh, those, as Paul says, they do not themselves keep the law, verse 13. And I think there's a bit of a warning for us uh, tonight as we think about uh, this kind of false teaching. Um, we are not to be taken in by teaching that downplays the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe as I say that, maybe you think, well, is that really a big um, threat for us tonight here at St. Peter's? But who knows? Because we can talk a lot about Jesus without talking about his suffering. And so we should be careful not to be taken in by any teaching that says you can have Jesus without the cost of following him. That is no Christianity at all. And I just wonder if maybe in the, the coming decades that kind of teaching might just feel a bit more attractive to us a bit more appealing 
give us Jesus, but don't talk too much to us about what he says about the cost of following him or his death on the cross. And you and I, we need to be aware that there are many voices calling out to us, trying to lead us away from him. Sometimes those voices come from people who we might find very attractive. Maybe it's some kind of ministry online. Maybe it's um, someone we've never met, a celebrity, someone like that. Maybe it's someone who you know who is subtly demeaning or undermining your faith. And being suspicious can be dangerous, but there is a little bit of a place for suspicion in the Christian life. We are not to swallow everything we hear that claims to be of Jesus. It should be tested by Scripture. It should be tested by the, the historic confessions of the church. So as Paul signs off, we, we see him expose these false teachers, and there's uh, a warning for us uh, there. But as he signs off, we also see Paul not just expose, but obsess obsess. Now, I use that word um, obsess um, because I think the word boasting that Paul uses here, it can be misunderstood. We tend to think of boasting in in a negative way, and it's quite difficult to translate that word boasting that Paul uses in in the Greek into English. And some of the translations say glory, and it can also mean brag. But I really like how uh, John Stott puts it, and that's why I've chosen this word. The object, he says, of our glory or our boast fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, he says, our glory is our obsession. Now, in our society today, I think we're obsessed with uh, lots of things, aren't we? Um, Other people. Um, sport, keeping fit, and ourselves, lots of things. Um, A TV show that we absolutely love. Um, Sometimes obsession can be be good. It can drive us to to achieve impressive things, maybe like an athlete who gets up really early in the morning. But obsession can also be uh, dangerous too. Uh, Really recently, someone who's not here this evening, but who comes to um, St. Peter's uh, encouraged me to listen to uh, a brilliant podcast. It's called um, 13 Minutes to the Moon. I don't know if anyone has uh, listened to that podcast. And what it does, it tells the story of uh, Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins and um, Armstrong as they land on the moon. And what you realize when you listen to these men talking and and people involved in that uh, lunar landing was the sheer amount of focus and energy and planning and sacrifice that went into that achievement. In order to get from John F. Kennedy saying, we will put a man on the moon to one small step for man, a massive amount of effort was involved. It had to be an obsession for the people involved. And Paul has got an obsession to one event has captivated his whole imagination, his whole life, his whole world. Far be it from me, he says, to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting, sometimes when you read a verse like that, it's interesting to think, what does Paul not say here? 
What does Paul choose not to boast in? And so Paul doesn't boast in the miracles of Jesus. Uh, Paul doesn't boast in um, raising, Jesus raising people from the dead. He doesn't boast in the idea of Jesus being a great teacher or being really compassionate. These are all great things about Jesus. But Paul is someone who glories in the cross. Paul is someone who's isolated the matter of first importance. Not the matter of soul importance, uh, uh, not the of soul importance but the main thing, the main thing that has defined and shaped his life, his ministry, is the cross. And it has shaped it so much that Paul describes two other crucifixions that have happened in his life. Can you see that in verse 14? Paul says that the world has been crucified to him and he to the world. Now, what does he mean when he he speaks like that? What Paul means is that his whole attitude to human existence, life in this world, it has been completely turned upside down. It has radically changed. And Paul is not saying he doesn't care about people outside the Christian community. Like each of us, he lives in the world. But what the world thinks, what the world values, what the world as a system elevates, these things are no longer the driving force in his life. The world has been crucified to him and he to the world. Now, this is what happens to us as Christians when we become Christians. As we saw back in um, chapter 5, verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. And at the start of the Christian life, we say one big no to sin and one big yes to Jesus. And that no and that yes is always agonizing. It means we have to turn away from sin, sin we love. It may mean turning away from people that we love. It is a choice. It is a one-time action. And yet it is also an ongoing pattern in our lives day by day. You and I are called to live as those who, who no longer regard the world the way that we once did. And we are to have a new obsession. I think Paul underlines this in verse 15, he says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And Paul is a man who is obsessed, who is captivated by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has completely changed his whole world. But maybe as you read verse 15 or or hear it read, maybe you Um, hear that verse and you wonder, is Paul um, here, is he contradicting himself? He spent the whole of this letter arguing that getting circumcised as a Christian is a big problem. Don't do it. He said that trusting in that act or acts like it can mean that we lose the gospel. So how can he say now that it doesn't uh, count for anything? 
I think the answer is similar to what he said back in chapter 5, verse 6. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The most important thing about these people, the most important thing about us, is not whether we have been circumcised or not. It's not whether we can tick that box or don't tick that box, but whether we are in Christ, whether we are new creations. That is, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters when it comes to life with God. Paul describes this work of new creation back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But just notice that word, anyone, if anyone is in Christ. So inclusive, isn't it? If you have cried out to Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in him, you belong in that anyone. And no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you look to him, if you look to Jesus, he will make you a new creation. And it's not, is it, a matter of human effort? It's a matter of simple trust. Paul goes on, all this is from God. God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And yet, as those who follow a crucified Savior, you and I, we will often get stigmatized. Stigmatized. That word, it comes from the word Paul uses at the end of uh, verse 17. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He has the marks, the stigmata that come from following Jesus Christ. He carried on his very body the marks of faithful service to him. He's suffered because of his allegiance to him. John Calvin, he points out that these are, these are the kind of honors, he says, that look disgraceful from a worldly perspective. But friends, anytime you or I suffer from Christ, however, for Christ, however small that suffering might be, Well, we need to remember how privileged we are to bear the name of Jesus, to be marked as Christians, to belong to him, to be counted worthy of suffering for his name's sake. There is no greater privilege in life. Now, this makes no sense, does it, to the person who's not yet become a Christian, who's not yet put their faith in Jesus. We only think that way. You only think that way tonight because Jesus is already transforming you. And if we do, if he is doing that, we can have confidence in life. And then even as we die, we can say, upon a life I have not lived. Upon a death I did not die. Another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. Is that your prayer? Is that your testimony tonight. So we see Paul expose, we see Paul obsess, and lastly we see Paul bless. And we see this, I think, in verses 16 and verse 18. He says, as for those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, 
and upon the Israel of God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Now, the Israel of God, they're not the people who've been circumcised. That's what the, the false teacher said. We are the true Israel. We're the ones who got circumcised. No, the Israel of God are those who've placed their trust in Jesus the Messiah. And whether they're from a Jewish background or a Gentile background, whether they're outsiders or insiders, the only thing that counts is that they walk by the rule, the standard, the limit that Paul has mentioned in verse 15. And for such people, these friends who are reading this letter, Paul prays that peace and mercy would be upon them. But then in verse 18, I think it's as if Paul just gets even more personal as he ends this letter. It's as if he turns to address them directly. He adds this to this blessing, the word grace, grace, mercy, and peace be to you. And God's grace is, is the, has been the soundtrack to this letter, the grace of God. It amazed Paul. It, it loosed his bonds. It set him free. Paul had been captivated by the grace of God in Christ. Paul had seen how the whole plan and purpose of God came into focus at Calvary. He, he'd seen that Jesus had borne his curse. Jesus had set him free, that Jesus loved him and gave himself for him, and that he now could call God Abba, Father. But as he closes, what Paul wants is that everyone who reads this letter will know that grace internally. That is what he is saying in verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. As someone has put it, he wants a proper feeling of that in their hearts. Now, this is maybe not the way we think of Paul. We often think of Paul as quite a kind of cold, distant, um, big-brained kind of guy. But Paul is a pastor, and Paul wants these readers of this letter. He wants anyone who will ever read this letter to have confidence and joy and peace. He wants them to feel this truth, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants them to know that they are loved by God, that Jesus died for them, that that's not just some general truth, but it's a truth for you, for me, that we can know that and bask in that. He wants you to know tonight that there is nothing else that needs to be added to the sacrifice of Jesus. And if you've got loved ones tonight who don't know Jesus, that is what you want for them, isn't it? You want them to know and feel and live in and enjoy this world of grace, this whole new way of seeing reality. You want them to have the assurance that they belong to Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You want them to know that he's promised all who who simply trust in him that he will never let them go. You want them to taste what you've 
tasted this gospel that's sweeter than honey. Well, I said um, at the beginning of this series that uh, I think Galatians is a letter that uh, makes uh, God's people sing. And so let me close with these words from a man who loved this letter, Martin Luther. I haven't mentioned Martin Luther in a little while, but he was punchy. He was very much imperfect. He was funny. But above all, Martin Luther was someone who was obsessed with Christ and him crucified. And so as we finish this series, listen to these lines from a great Easter hymn that he wrote. It said, Christ Jesus lay in death's strong bands for our offenses given. But now at God's right hand he stands and brings us life from heaven. Therefore, let us joyful be and sing to God right thankfully loud songs of alleluia. Friends, may these words be true of us. May we rejoice today in the Lord Jesus Christ and his wonderful death on the cross. May we rejoice in him, our crucified and our reigning king. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that he has been crucified for us. We praise you for this wonderful act that he has accomplished on our behalf. And we pray that it would be our happy boast that we belong to the one who laid down his life for us, for his friends, that while we were even his enemies, he died for us. Father, may we rejoice in these things today and tomorrow and forever. Amen.